You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the January 8th episode of the Bacon Bats podcast. January 8th, 2021. We made it. Happy New Year, everyone. First episode of the new year. And oh boy, it's just been a fantastic year so far already, hasn't it been? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I apologize for not having an episode out on Thursday. I had something come up in my personal life on Wednesday evening, which is usually when I record it. Uh, and this podcast usually comes out on Thursday, but this week I uh, had to delay today. So I'm recording it uh, tonight, uh, Thursday night, and it'll be released Friday morning. So I apologize for that. That shouldn't happen, but occasionally it will. Shit happens. That's life. So on today's episode of the podcast, uh, I got college basketball picks, three college basketball picks locked in for Friday, January the 8th. And then I got my best bet for all six NFL wildcard weekend games. Uh, and I'm also going to talk about a little a little review, a little recap of my road to 256 bets. Uh, I'm sure you all know I bet on every single NFL game this season, 256 games, 256 bets. Uh, well, I dove into the numbers today, um, and I found out kind of what I did well, what I did not so well, what I can improve on, what I learned. Uh, a lot of actually really, really interesting stuff, so I would recommend listening to that portion of the podcast because uh, even though I'm talking about my bets, I think I learned a lot of a lot of things that uh, will apply for you guys and your guys' uh, betting strategy moving forward. So uh, I'd highly rec- recommend that part, but yeah, that's basically going to be the episode. Three college basketball picks for Friday and then NFL picks for Saturday and Sunday. Um, but before I get into that portion of the podcast, just to round out the intro here, uh, I got to talk about something, and that is cold streaks. Uh, because if you guys follow me on Twitter, I'm sure most of you do. If you're even tailing my college basketball picks, you know that I have been absolutely ice cold in college basketball. I can't pick a winner to save my life. I'm three and eleven in my last college bas my last uh, fourteen college basketball picks. I'm in the red betting on college basketball for the first time in three years. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about what to do. When you're, in a, when you're in a cold streak, because it's going to happen and it happens to the best of the best. It happens to everyone. So what do you do, especially when it's in this bad of a cold streak? Three, four, 11. Well, first of all, if it gets to so bad of a cold streak where you're having trouble sleeping at night um, and it's kind of gotten into your head, the best thing that, to do, and this is what I did today, is to take a day off. If you're betting every single day like I do and you're finding yourself in a cold streak, take a day off. I didn't bet today. I'm not watching sports tonight. Uh, all I'm doing is recording this podcast of a fantasy hockey draft afterwards. Um, then I'm just going to relax. I'm taking the night off. I'm not going to stress myself out uh, with losing any more bets. So that's always good to get a little mental refresh. Uh, and then you, kind of the next day you, you, you get back to it with a fresh mind. 
um, and you're not stressing out about it too much. So that's the first thing. And that's what I had to end up resorting to today. Uh, there's a few of you who sent me DMs on Twitter looking for my thoughts or picks on tonight's college basketball games. I, I didn't even want to look, and I apologize to the people uh, who sent me those messages. I, I told you guys, like, I didn't even handicap. I could just throw out uh, a gut feeling on those picks, but I don't want to do that. I take pride, and even though I'm, I, I lose some bets, I very least I do my research. Um, and for me to take the day off handicapping, that means not handicapping the games that you guys ask me about as well. So I apologize to those people, but we're back at it um, with bets locked in for tomorrow. And the other thing you got to do when, when you're in a cold streak is you got to look at your betting process. How, how do you handicap games? Uh, is there something that you need to change in your handicapping method? Is there something that you're doing wrong? Now, in my case, I don't think so, because I've been handicapping these games the same way that I've handicapped games the last two years in college basketball, and both those years were profitable in the long term. Last year, I hit it like 58.7%. It was a great season last year. I'm handicapping games the same way I did at the start of this college basketball season when I started off, uh, actually started off, I think, 11-3, and the complete inverse of the cold streak that I'm on. Um, so over the long term, if you think slash if you know that what you're doing in the past and what you have been doing usually works, you have to, as corny as it is to say, trust the process. You kind of have to. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not changing anything yet. It is only the past uh, like three or four days that, that I've been cold. And actually when I was looking at my recap for the road to 256 bets, um, that actually made me relax a little bit more and realize that cold streaks kind of happen. The thing in the NFL is, I mean, I had some terror. I ended up profitable for, for – um, uh, for the whole season, the NFL, and we'll talk about this uh, after the intro here. Um, but I had some terrible, terrible weeks. But like when I had terrible weeks in the NFL, it kind of was I could just laugh it off because all the games would happen for the most part all in one day. Whereas it's it, it feels more frustrating when it happens in college basketball because it's straight. This cold streak is stretched over the span of four days, um, so it just feels like I can't pick a winner. Where in NFL, if I've like go uh, like three for 11 on NFL Sunday. It's, I just kind of chalk that up to a bad day and then I have a week to kind of take it off and then I get back on it next week. College basketball, if you're on a cold streak, you're betting every single day. It feels more long uh, and dragged out. So I need to remember, even in the NFL, I finished profitable, but I had some very, 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 very bad weekends. So I just need to keep thinking long-term. I need to trust the process, as cheesy as it is to say, handicap the same way for now, and then hope that the numbers just kind of turn around because I mean, I, and I could go on, I could go on and dive into the, the bets that I'm losing and kind of why I'm losing them. But you guys don't want to hear that. I mean, a lot of it's just going to sound like excuses. Uh, but you guys know I'm, in, especially in college basketball, I'm very statistics based. And in these games that I'm losing, teams are just not doing anywhere close to what their average statistics were for the season. The perfect example was that Fordham-Dayton game when I took Dayton minus 12. Fordham was like shooting like 29% from the field leading into that game and allowing teams to shoot like 50% against them. And then in that game against Dayton, they shot like 48%, including 50% from beyond the arc, and then Dayton was shooting like 20%. So a lot of just... I'm going to hope, at least for my mental health sake, chalk it up to the fact that just I'm getting a little bit of bad luck and there's just a lot of outlier games... But I mean, if you look at the numbers statistically, you got to remember, let's like 55% is kind of the goal that we want to hit on spreads and totals throughout the whole season. So let's say every single game you bet on, there's a 55% chance that it wins, a 45% chance that it loses. If you flip a coin and, and maybe the coin's like a little bit weighted or something, and there's a 45% chance that it lands on tails, if you flip it 
200 times, there's probably going to be a stretch where even though it's only a 45% chance, there's probably going to be a stretch over 10, 15 games where it's going to, it's going to land on, on that tails more often uh, than it lands on the head. So I just got to keep thinking long-term, stick to the process, and hope it turns around. But I do got to say, it sucks. It sucks. I'm in the red for the in college basketball for the first time in three years, which it does not feel good whatsoever. I think I'm down like two units, something like that. And I feel bad because I know people trust my college basketball picks. I know people are tailing my picks. Uh, the picks are public. I put them out there for everyone to see. And when I just keep losing, 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 it sucks. It's not fun. Um, so I apologize for that. I, I hope and I think things will turn around. And hey, maybe if I just suck this bad all season, then everyone can just fade my picks and everyone can make money that way. So um, back on college basketball picks for Friday. Uh, I like the three picks that I have locked in. Uh, so let's not waste any more time. There's a the little intro. Three college basketball picks. Uh, NFL picks, I mean, three college basketball picks, then I'm going to recap uh, the NFL regular season, then I'm going to give my six NFL picks for the six NFL games. By the way, for those people who listen to the podcast, and if you only want my college basketball picks, or if you only want my NFL picks, or whatever, I put the time uh, stamps in the description for when I talk about what, so you can go ahead and just skip ahead to those times, uh, if you just want to skip ahead to the parts um, that you want to listen to. Uh, but other than that, before we get into it, be sure to subscribe. I've had a lot of new listeners the past couple weeks. Um, I appreciate you all for, for downloading. Please subscribe. Um, tell your friends, tell your family, all that good stuff. Even if I keep sucking with my college basketball picks, uh, maybe you guys can just fade me and make some money. But no more wasting time. Let's get into the January 8th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. We're turning it around. No more cold streak. We're getting hot. Let's go. More bacon than the pan can handle. 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 Utility man. Alright, here we go. Three college basketball picks locked in for the January 8th slate. And what better way? To end a cold streak, what better way to get back on track than a good old classic underbet in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, my favorite conference to bet on unders. So that's where we're going to start on Friday. This game starts at like 4 p.m. Eastern, by the way. So, um, yeah, you're going to want to lock these bets in before tonight. Ryder, Niagara, under 138, minus 110. First of all, as we always do when, we wanna, when we're betting on a total, we got to look at pace of play first. Ryder, 220. 81st in possessions per game, 226th in field goal attempts per game. Niagara, 330th in possessions per game, right down there, uh, the bottom few in the country, and then 270th in field goal attempts per game. So there we go. That's a great start for an underbet. Both teams play pretty slow pace of play. Then we're looking at some offensive output here. Floor percentage, once again, I repeat this all the time, but I get the question all the time, so I have to repeat it. Floor percentage is the percentage of a team's possessions that result in at least one point being scored. So we want low floor percentage if we're betting on the under, and Ryder, 169th in floor percentage, so that's around average. Niagara, 231st. And then the other thing that we want is good defense. Niagara, 86th in opponent floor percentage, so their defense is quite a bit better than their offense. Now, one, this is the one question mark I have for this game, is Ryder's 311th in opponent floor percentage. So their defense has been bad this year, but I'm going to touch on that again here in a second. Niagara has an average combined score of 128.8 this season, so that's 10 points below the total at 138. Ryder is slightly above it, though, have an average combined score of 142.1. Um, 
and a big part of that is because of their defense. They're giving up quite a bit of points per game. So like I said, Riders defense, my one big worry in this game. But I think Niagara's bad offense and both teams' like snail-like pace of play should be enough to keep this game under. Because 138's not necessarily a low total, uh, especially with how slow uh, the pace of play both teams play in this game. Uh, also, I think we're getting a little bit of better value on this, uh, mostly due to Niagara's last game. Net last game against Marist was 86-72. But Maris shot 52.9% from the field in that game, 42.3% from beyond the arc, and Niagara also shot 45.2% from beyond the arc. So some offensive outlier games or outlier numbers on the offensive side of the court for both Marist and Niagara in that last game. Uh, I don't think Niagara is going to play in very many high-scoring games like that so far this season. So despite Ryder's bad um, defense at 138, love the under here. I think the under... Uh, between that Ryder and Niagara game is a good way to get back on track. So under 138, Ryder-Niagara, my first game back in action. Let's start it off with a win right there. And the juice is minus 110, by the way. Uh, moving on, then, we got North Texas and San Antonio. Uh, I'm going to take, take a North Texas minus 6. Now, before I get into listening to some stats here for this game, keep in mind an important factor North Texas this year has played against Arkansas, Mississippi State, and West Virginia. So three very, very good teams. Uh, the best team Texas San Antonio uh, has played, also known as UTSA. That's how I'll kind of refer to them as. The best team UTSA has played against this season is Oklahoma, and they got smoked in that game 105-66. So keep in mind that the disparity in stats here includes the fact that North Texas has had a way tougher schedule than UTSA has. Um, also, by the way, side note here, games against non-divisional one teams are never included in the stats I cite. I had someone bring that up uh, to me on Twitter the other day, and it was a fair point, and it's something I hadn't addressed before. Um, teams, it seems like every single team has played like two or three uh, non-division one teams. Um, the stats I look at don't include those games, because that would just wildly sway the stats, because all the division one teams just smoke those non-division one teams. So keep in mind, those games not included in the stats I cite whatsoever. That's why if you look at the stats I cite and then you look at like ESPN matchup page, the stats are going to are gonna differ a little bit because ESPN includes those games. Um, the site I use, which is teamrankings.com, doesn't include those games. So just keep that in mind. But let's get to the stats in this game. North Texas, 131st in floor percentage. UTSA, 214th. And then defense is where we're seeing a big difference. North Texas, 53rd in opponent floor percentage. UTSA 319th right down there at the in the bottom teams in the country uh, and then to kind of further pound that point home North Texas 48th in defensive efficiency while UTSA is 340th uh, so UTSA terrible on defense North Texas has the offensive advantage as well uh, slight rebounding advantage for North Texas 131st to 186th um, and then finally North Texas what are they? The mean green or something? Isn't that their, isn't that their mat? The green machine? Uh, they lean towards more shots down low than three-pointers, and UTSA is 311th, an opponent two-point field goal percentage. I need to look up what their uh, mascot is. It's something like that, isn't it? The mean green? Yeah, North Texas mean greens. I love it. That's one of the best mascots uh, in the country. So I'm going North Texas minus six, juices minus 110 in that one. And then for my third and final pick, uh, for the Friday, January 8th slate, 
Let's just go ahead and not overthink this one. We're going to go ahead and fade one of the worst teams in the country, and that is San Jose State. So we're going to take Fresno State minus 13.5 at minus 110 against San Jose State. Um, massive, massive, massive rebounding advantage in this game. Fresno State, 38th in rebounding percentage, grabbing 54.5% of boards. San Jose State, 337th, grabbing only 41.2% of boards. So what, quick math, that is a 13.3% difference in rebounding percentage. Also, Fresno State's at home as well. Um, also big offensive advantage, 179th in floor percentage. San Jose State's 327th. Fresno State, 231st. Actually, Fresno State's defense is not great, but San Jose's even worse by long shot. San Jose State, 353rd in opponent floor percentage. Uh, San Jose State, 4th last in field goal percentage. They are shooting just 33.2% from the field. They're also 306th in opponent field goal percentage, allowing teams to shoot 47.6% against them. And then San Jose State also has an average scoring margin on the road of minus 33.8. Now, I'll note um, that I tried to fade one of the worst teams in the country a couple days ago in Fordham, um, who were shooting 29 point something percent from the field, and then they shot like 50% against Dayton. But to be fair, Fordham had only played like two games leading up to that game. Uh, San Jose State's had a little bit of a larger sample size leading into this one, so... Um, I think San Jose State's one of the bottom three, four teams in the country this year, and they kind of were last year too. San Jose State, uh, Missouri, uh, Mississippi Valley's bad. I always mix up Mississippi Valley and Missouri Valley, the conference, but Mississippi Valley's the bad team. Uh, Alabama State seems to be one of the bad teams. Then, of course, always Chicago State's pretty bad as well. Um, so I feel pretty comfortable with this bet. Big spread, 13.5, but Fresno State's at home, and San Jose State can't do anything well. So Fresno State, minus 13.5. Minus 110 against San Jose State. Uh, so just to recap those three college basketball picks. I'm going Ryder, Niagara, under 138 at minus 110. Don't forget that game's at like 4 p.m. Eastern, so um, hopefully you're listening to this before that. Uh, North Texas, minus 6, minus 110 against Texas, San Antonio, a.k.a. UTSA. And then Fresno State, minus 13.5, minus 110 against San Jose State. Now, if you're listening to this on Friday and the lines have moved, uh, because I just locked those bets in on Thursday night. This is uh, it's 7.20 p.m. Eastern Thursday night, or 8.20 p.m. my time, because I live in the Atlantic time zone, one that you Americans don't even have. Um, yeah, West Coast games, it's like I have to stay up to like 3 a.m. to watch those. Um, if the line has moved more than two points, I would recommend staying away. So Ryan or Niagara, if it's down to like 136, I would stay away. If North Texas is up to minus eight, I would stay away. And then if Fresno State, probably if that line's over 15, I would probably stay away from that one. But if it's just moved a half a point or a point, I would still feel comfortable with those because I get that question all the time. People ask me, well, would you still take it at this? Would you still take it this? Usually, general rule of thumb, if it's within two points, I would still take it. Um, but there you go. Those are my three college basketball picks. Let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. Trust the process. We can do it. I got a fresh state of mind. I'm ready. I'm. I like those picks. I think I'm going to go at least two and one for a profit on Friday. Let's get back on track. All right. Now let's get into the football portion of the show. And like I said, the first thing I want to do is talk about uh, my recap of the road to 256 bets. Uh, as most of you or all of you probably know, I bet on all 256 NFL games. I dove kind of into the numbers. I tracked all the bets, so I dove into the numbers, found out some very interesting things. But let's just talk about my overall record. 
you probably saw me tweet it out, but I finished the season 130, 119, and 7 for plus 5.79 units. Uh, so small profit. I would have liked to have a bigger profit because especially in like week 14 or 15, I was up to like 15 units, but uh, week 16 kind of killed me there. But uh, win, that's a win percentage of 52.2%, by the way. Um, so if you're wondering how it became profitable, but winning only at 52.2%, because if it's all spreads and totals of minus 110, you have to hit at what, 52.5% to break even? Uh, it's because of money lines. And that's actually what saved me this season, but I, I'm going to get into that in a second. Uh, my best week of the season is is actually is actually kind of fun to look through uh, all the old bets because I mean the NFL season has been going on for what September October like f- over four months now I forgot about some of these weeks and some of these bets that I made and how well I did in some weeks how bad I did in other weeks I I mean I forgot it was really interesting to look back uh, my best week was actually week four week four of the NFL season I went eleven and five for plus seven point eight nine units that was the week if you remember if you've been listening. Um, since then, that was actually the week I hit Eagles money line on Sunday night against the 49ers, and they were like plus 255. So that was a big week for me. 11 and 5 plus 7.89 units. That was my best week. And then my worst week, I mean, I knew this without even looking at it, it was week 16. I got just crushed in week 16. 4, 11 and 1 minus 7.32 units. So that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with college basketball. I think having a cold streak in college basketball hurts more because it's dragged out over the past couple of days or over a span of four days in this case. So last night when I went 0-3, I was just completely bummed out. But when I went 4-11-1 in week 16 of the NFL, I just kind of laughed at it because it was all just kind of happened in one day. So it was just like, all right, well, that was a really bad day. I can kind of just move on uh, to the next week. But in college basketball, when it's you're betting every single day, it seems more dragged out when you're on a cold streak. So if I did that bad in week 16, I still finished profitable for the long term throughout the whole season. I'm fine. I can bounce back into college basketball. But a uh, really interesting part about this, spreads, totals, and money lines. So I split it up, and I looked to see how well I did in each. Um, spreads, I actually lost money, believe it or not. Spreads, now I didn't, I mean, there's too many bets on spreads and totals, so I didn't count the exact record, but the, for units, I finished down 2.62 units in spreads. Uh, so that was interesting. Spreads were, were my weakest of the three types of bets. Totals, um, I didn't have as many totals as I had spreads. I finished with a slight profit in totals plus 0.66 units. So I actually did slightly better in totals than I did spreads. Money lines are what saved me. My money line underdog bets of the week, sometimes there is more than one. Uh, that's what saved me this season. If I didn't do underdog money lines, I, I don't. I probably wouldn't have been profitable. Um, I went 11 for 9 for plus 7.75 units uh, with my Moneyline underdog picks. So I had a winning record betting on Moneyline underdogs. My biggest one was Washington plus 275 against the Steelers there when the Steelers were 11-0. and uh, and then I had the Eagles plus 225, which is right below them. Most of them were like just slightly above even money. Um, but I, th- I mean, I thought that was really interesting. 11 for nine plus 7.75 units on money lines. And then I lost money on spreads and then only a, a slight gain on totals. Now, something else that I did this NFL season, which I can compare to betting on every single NFL game was the Capper cup. Uh, if you don't know, odd shark had a contest called the odd shark Capper cup. This season this is the first year doing it. I competed in it. Of course, since I'm employed by odd shark, I would hope they would put me in that. But what the Capper Cup was, was you entered in your five best bets of the week. So I actually have a comparison of what my record looks like betting on every single NFL game and what my record looks like betting on just 
if, if I were to just bet on my five best bets each week. This is the most interesting thing that I found, I think. So my total record, like I said, I had a win percentage of 52.2%. In Capper Cup, my win percentage of fi- is was 52.56%. And my record was 41-37-7. So a lot of the time, people kind of repeat this, that you should only bet on the games that you are feeling the most confident in. You shouldn't place too many bets. The lower amount of bets you place, the better, because those are the ones you are more confident in, and those are the ones that you are most likely to win. Well, for me, that wasn't the case. I put in my five best bets every week in the Capper Cup, and then I did the road to 256 bets where I bet on every single game, and I only did slightly better with my best bets. 52.56% in my best bets compared to 52.2% uh, in my record for betting on every single game. So maybe confidence doesn't really mean anything. Maybe your level of confidence is is useless. Maybe you should not listen to whatever that feeling is that you have um, of confidence when you handicap a game. And then to kind of further prove that point, another aspect of the Capper Cup was that out of the five picks that you did, uh, you labeled one as your best bet, your number one best bet of the week. And in the Capper Cup, that best bet was uh, worth two points as opposed to the other four just be worth one point. Well, my best bet, so my number one best bet in all 17 weeks of the NFL, I went 5, 10, and 2. I hit it 33.33%. for my best bets of the NFL season in each week. So my most confident bets were terrible. So I'd, maybe I need to not listen to how confident I am in my bets. I thought that was really interesting. That's actually what <laughs> screwed me in the Capra Cup. I finished, I think, like 15th, 16th, 17th, something like that. It was around the middle of the pack. Um, but my record in the Capra Cup, and you can go look at the Capra Cup page. It's still up. You can look at the final standings. My win-loss record... Um, was good enough to be in the top 10, close to the top 5, but what screwed me was I just didn't win any best bets. So those two-point plays, uh, I only won five of them all season. Um, So there were people in the top 10, top 5, who had worse records than me, but they had better records with their best bets. So I thought that was really interesting, because like I said, that's kind of the, the old adage in sports betting, is you should bet less, and you should only bet on the games where you're feeling most confident. Well, I didn't, I did slightly, slightly better, half a percent um, better, not even half a percent, 0.3% better on my five best bets each week compared to just betting on every single game. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. Now, I will say this is just one season sample size. I am going to do this again next year. So I have kind of two seasons to look at of betting on every single game. I might just keep doing it every single year. We'll see how next year it goes. Um, but yeah, maybe that adage of just betting on the games that you're feeling most confident in, maybe that's not true. Maybe you should just handicap every single game, make a pick, and your level of confidence means nothing. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. Now, don't forget, Capra Cup, there's no money line underdogs, which I did money line underdogs uh, in the road to 256 bets. So that's something that was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. So 0.3% worse when I bet on every single game as opposed to just doing my five best bets of the week. Now, maybe that will change next year. Now, speaking of next year, things I'll do. Uh, let's Let's actually touch on things that I learned. Uh, I'll talk about things that I learned doing it, and then I'll talk about um, things I'll do differently for next year. So things that I learned, the amount of randomness of outcomes in NFL games is the first thing that I noticed. So usually in past years when I'd only bet on two or three, four, maybe five games uh, in an NFL week, um, when I would lose close games, I I would complain, oh, that's a bad beat, oh, that's bad luck. Um, I don't know... Like, I think in NFL, there's just a lot of randomness to outcomes. Um, And I think 
half the time those those random bounces kind of go your way half the time they go against you now the times that they go against you um you always blame bad luck um and this would be me myself i would notice myself doing this and then the ones where the bounces would go my my way and i'd end up winning the bet i'd go huh well i handicapped that game right didn't i well, not necessarily, it's just the, the bounces at the end of the game kind of went your way. So things like penalties at the end of the game, turnovers, injuries, I mean the amount of games that literally came down to the last play of the game, the one that sticks out in my mind immediately was, remember the Patriots and Seahawks back in like week three, week four, week two, something like that, uh, Cam Newton had a, a it's like a, I don't know what down it was, but the last play of the game, they're on the one-yard line. They scored the touchdown. Um, they would have won the game. They would have covered the spread. Seahawks stopped them, so Seahawks won the game, and they actually covered the spread as well. So, so many NFL games just come down to one or two plays, one or two key plays near the end of the game. A lot of the time, it's actually right at the end of the game. Uh, and it's just, and I think a big part of that, why that happens in the NFL, is because a touchdown's worth seven points if you get the extra point. I mean, if a team, it's pretty rare for a team to go from not covering the spread, they score a touchdown, and they're still not covering their spread. Usually a touchdown late in the game will decide whether or not a team covers the spread. And sometimes that touchdown happens because of a defensive pass interference. Sometimes it's a turnover late in the game. Sometimes, there, I mean, there's an injury in the first or second quarter, like when Dak Prescott went down against the Giants, that just completely screws your bet. There's just a lot of randomness and things that come down to one or two plays late in the game. So I think my kind of strategy is the, the, your kind of thought process in NFL, and this probably carries over to other games as well, college basketball actually as well, is you want to limit the bets that aren't even close. You want to limit the bets where you get your ass kicked, where the team you bet on is not even close to covering the spread. You want more bets that the team you bet on wins and covers by a lot than the bets that lose by a lot. And then all the other ones are going to come down to one or two plays. And over the long term, they're probably going to half the time go your way, half the time go against you. So I just thought that was interesting. I I learned there was a lot more randomness to these bets uh, than I thought there was. That's why when I see guys who... Um, claim that they're going to hit at 80%, claim that they're, you know, the best betters ever, they're going to hit at 70% guaranteed this season. You can't guarantee that because there's just so much randomness in professional sports. There's so many things you can't predict. There's so many outlier games. There's so many just penalties you can't predict. There's injuries. So a lot of games are, are just going to come down to luck at the end of the day. It really, really is. So you just, your handicapping should turn it, from a 50% coin flip into like a 55% coin flip. That's kind of that's kind of what you want to do with handicapping. You're not going to be able to look at the stats and numbers and be able to predict the exact outcome of the game. You you just kind of want the edge to slightly go in your favor and still a lot of the time it's not. Um yeah, and also like I said, I mean I'm going to do this again at least for next year cuz I I want to kind of keep learning. Um, this, I mean, it was a lot of bets, 256 bets, but at the end of the day, that's still a somewhat small sample size. So I am going to do this again next year and we'll see what I learned from, um, from it next year. Now things that I'm going to do differently next year, um, one is more money line underdogs. Uh, I mostly stuck to just one a week. I think I had 20 in total, right? What was my right? 11 to nine. So I had 20 in total. So that means three weeks I did two money line underdogs. Um, but those were by far my most successful bet. So next year, I think I'm going to do more money line underdogs. If there's an underdog that I really like, don't even worry about the spread. I'll take the money line. Or maybe I'll even do spread and money line. I don't know. So I guess that would then it would expand it to more than 256 bets. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, money lines, underdog money lines were by far my most successful bet. So I need to do more of those next year. 
and maybe more totals as well. Now, I didn't do as many totals as spreads this year, but I was slightly more successful betting on totals than I was spreads. Spreads is my worst bet. So I'm going to keep that in mind when I make the picks next year. Um, and the, also, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to track how much each bet loses or wins by. Um, because like I said, I, I think kind of my feel of it is that you those games that come down right to the wire, half are going to go your way, half are going to go against you over the long term. Um, if you can kind of handicap, so then you just limit the games where the team you bet on is not even close to covering the spread or the total, you know, you bet on an over and it finishes at like 30 points. If you limit those just not even close bets, um, then I think you can do well. So I'm actually going to track that next year. I'm going to track how much each bet wins and loses. I'm going to get a little bit of a standard deviation if you want to get some uh, real statistics going there. And uh, I think we can learn a little bit more from that as well. Uh, but that's my recap of the road to 256 bets. It was a grind. It was an emotional roller coaster. Um, I try, I mean, I, I looked through today and I went through how much I won each each week and how much I, I lost each week. Um, I forgot, like, week one I was down 5.8 units and then I was lost again in week two and in week three. So I wasn't back in the black until, I think, week four? Or it might not even be... I don't know, but I was I was in the red for the first couple of weeks at least. Um, but I ended up getting back to the black, and then I had a few small loss weeks. Um, the stretch of week, there was one stretch where I like crushed it three weeks in a row. Where was it here? Uh, oh, maybe there wasn't. Week 15, I did well. 4.1 units gained in week four. 15 and then I had that bad week 16 week 14 had a slight win um yeah week 9 10 11 and 12 four weeks in a row was profitable so I, I gained some units there as well week four was my best week so uh yeah it was interesting to look through all that but there you have it I finished up 5.79 units let's try to aim uh to beat that next year but we still have NFL to go over because we still have the playoffs let's hope um <laughs> I hope I stay, if I combine my playoff record with my regular season record, I hope I stay in the black uh, and I don't lose all my profit from the regular season. But uh, speaking of which, let's get into that. Let's get into my picks for wild card weekend. Um, my notes are not written in order of when the games happen. So let me just look up the NFL schedule so I can talk about them in order of when they actually happen here. Uh, it's Bills and Colts first on Saturday, right? Uh, just off memory, that's what I'm guessing, but I'm just uh, bringing it up here. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, Colts and Bills first. Let's talk about that game. I'm going to back the Bills. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to bet against the hottest team in the NFL. Uh, in the NFL playoffs, it seems to be in recent memory that uh, teams with momentum heading into the playoffs are the ones that kind of have the most success. I mean, no team has had more momentum heading into these playoffs than the Buffalo Bills. They're averaging over their last three weeks 47.3 points per game. That's insane. Uh, almost 50 points a game over their last three weeks. No offense is hotter than them. Josh Allen has looked absolutely fantastic. He's probably second runner-up for the MVP next to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they're also averaging 32 points per game at home this season, uh, which is the second most in the NFL. Um, and Buffalo's defense, which is kind of a weak point for them uh, in, the, in the early part of the season, has actually stepped it up uh, lately. Uh, over the last three weeks, they're allowing just 4.8 yards per play, which is actually sixth best in the NFL in that span. 
And then the opposite, uh, you can say for the Colts defense. Colts defense got off to a hot start this season, but they've really slowed down in the second half. Statistically, they're kind of just like an average to maybe above average defense. Um, Colts defense also 19th in opponent yards uh, per pass attempt. So Josh Allen should be able to do some damage through the air against them. I don't trust Phillip Rivers in the playoffs as much as um, I wish... I don't wish that he's going to win a Super Bowl this year. I was a big Chargers fan. They're kind of my AFC team. Um, And more so just the Chargers. I was a huge LaDainian Tomlinson fan. Big LT fan. I was cheering for them because the Falcons sucked back then. So whenever it would come to the playoffs, I'd always cheer for them when they had a good team there with LT and Phillip Rivers. Uh, And then they'd always, like, inevitably lose to, like, the fucking Patriots in the playoffs. And it would piss me off. But uh, I wish Phillip Rivers got a, a Super Bowl ring back then when LT was on his team. Uh, LT, I still think, is one of the most underrated running backs in the league. Didn't the NFL, when they did, like, the top 100 players last season, was it? Uh, LT wasn't included in that somehow. Like, he's one of the greatest running backs of all time. Also, LT wearing, like, the uh, powder blue jerseys with the visor. Greatest look ever. Um, Yeah, but I digress. Phillip Rivers, uh, his, slow mo- his throwing motion is so slow. Looks like it hurts to throw the ball. Uh, every time uh, that he throws it. Bills also, by the way, first and third down conversion rate while the Colts are 22nd, so that could be a, make a big impact. you got to convert on third downs in the playoffs. So I'm not afraid to lay the seven points. I actually got a, a good juice, too, at Bovada when I bet it here uh, this evening. I got Bills minus seven at plus 105. So that's my bet for that one against the Colts. Uh, let's move on to the next game. What do we got here on the schedule? Rams-Seahawks. I am going to go with the Rams. I got them at plus three and a half. Uh, what was the juice there? Yeah, just minus 110 for the juice. Um, nobody has been talking about kind of how stale the Seahawks offense has been. But really, I mean, let me back up here. The whole Seahawks team just doesn't make any sense. Um, I tweeted it out last week, I think. I think I tweeted it out right after week 17. I'm just going to bring up that tweet. But they're, they're like a tale of two teams between the first half of the season and the second half of the season. First half of the season... Um, their NFL, uh, their offense was one of the best in the NFL. Their defense is one of the worst. And then they completely flipped the second half of the season. Here we go. So Seahawks average combined score over the first eight games of the season, 64.25. Their average combined score over their last eight games of the season, 39.13. I mean, I'm going to bring up a calculator. I'm not going to do this mental math because it'll take me too long here. What's six, 64.25 minus... 25.12 difference in points for average combined score in the first half of the season games and their second half of the season games. So, I mean, what team are they? Are they the team in the first eight games or the team in the second eight games? I don't really know. Uh, If you want to look at the total in that game, you've got to go under, especially because the Rams are one of the best under bets in the NFL this season. But I'm going to take the Rams plus three and a half. If it's below three, then I might reconsider. But I think this is going to be a close game. If it comes down to a last-second field goal, even if it's the Seahawks getting the field goal, um, you can win there at that plus three and a half number. Uh, I know the quarterback situation's up in the air. People don't know if Jared Goff is going to be starting or not. But really, I don't know if John Wolford is that big of a step down from Jared Goff. Jared Goff is one of the lowest floors in the in the NFL. When he plays bad, he he, he like literally gives the game to the other team with how bad he plays. And the Rams the Rams don't need a quarterback to throw 400 yards. Um, they just need a quarterback to play average. They need a guy to not turn the ball over. So if John Wolford can do that, and he looked, he, that's what he did against the Cardinals, he, he, he did fine. He played as well as he had to do. 
they can their defense can carry them because the Rams defense is quite literally the best defense in the NFL right now. So I'm not going to bet against the best defense in the NFL. And if you want to argue that fact, while well, the Rams are allowing the fewest yards per game and the fewest points per game. So best scoring defense, best yardage defense. I mean, and they they have the second most sacks per game. The Seahawks give up the fifth most sacks per game. So this is a bet on the Rams defense. Um, even though the Seahawks beat them there a couple weeks ago, but that was one of the games I think Jared Goff just gave away. So I don't care if John Wolford starts. I actually, part of me actually kind of thinks I prefer John Wolford to start. Um, but that's uh, my bet for that game. Rams plus three and a half against the Seahawks minus 110. Um, then we are going to go, uh, what was the, ooh, Saturday night is the Washington game, Tampa. Uh, I'm taking Washington. I'm going to take Washington to cover the spread. I got a plus nine minus 110. Uh, and I, I think I've, I've talked about this with the Bucs. Uh, Tom Brady has struggled this year when he plays against good passing defenses, guys who can rush the passer, and that's exactly what Washington is. So the Bucks' five losses this season have come against the Bears, Rams, Chief, and then the Saints twice. All four of those teams are in the top half of the league in pass defenses. Rams are first in pass defense, and when I say pass defense, I'm just going off um, uh, opponent passing errors per game. Rams are first, Saints are fifth, um, and then the Bears are 12th and Chiefs are 14th. I mean, and the Chiefs kind of got to throw in the Patrick Mahomes factor there as well. But uh, all four teams that beat the Bucks this season are all in the top half and pass defense. Um, yeah, and that's what Washington can do. Washington ranks second in both opponent passing yards per game and opponent passing yards per attempt. So they're the second best pass defense in the NFL next to the Rams. They're also fourth in sack percentage. Chase Young should be able to get after Brady here. So this is not a good matchup for the Buccaneers offense. Also, Mike Evans is questionable. Who knows if he's going to play? Um, now, I will say Washington's offense is truly one of the worst offenses in the entire NFL. So I will not be taking Washington to win outright. But, they, I mean, they may only need to score two touchdowns to cover this nine-point spread. Uh, Washington's only allowed 20.9 points per game and 19.1 points per game at home. So if the Washington offense can score two touchdowns, they get to 14 points. Uh, maybe the Bucks score 21 points. That's a cover. Um, yeah, I think it's too many points for this good of a defense, especially playing at home. I'm going to take Washington and the points in this one, and I actually kind of hope they win. It's probably not going to happen, but God help me if I have to watch Tom Brady in another Super Bowl. That fucking... It's a little smirk he does when he wins. I fucking hate Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, so I'm t- taking Washington plus nine in that one. Uh, then we're moving on to Sunday's games, Baltimore, Tennessee. Um, you know, it's funny. I just talked about my recap for the road to 256 bets, and I spread bets were my worst out of the three kinds of bets I made, and now I'm realizing that all six of my bets are all spread bets wild card weekend. So... Uh, it's too late. I got them locked in. That might change for a divisional round, though. We'll see. Um, I actually locked these bets in before I did my recap and, and went through and did the math behind all my picks this season. So I didn't know I was not great at spreads this season. But regardless, here we are. I was good in the NFL playoffs last year in spreads, so maybe that'll carry over to this year. Baltimore, Tennessee. Now, my gut feeling was to take Baltimore because I think I even tweeted this, that Baltimore is or was and still kind of is my pick to uh, win the AFC. And I said that because I think they match up against the Chiefs well despite losing the Chiefs but that was my gut feeling was to take Ravens minus three but after looking at the numbers I am going to take the Titans at home plus three what's the juice here I didn't write down the juice my apologies um but while I'm looking that that up I don't know I have it right here uh plus 105 so I actually got plus 105 juice on that which is pretty great for Titans plus three um 
you, I, we know what these teams are going to do. They're the two best running teams in the NFL. Ravens are first in yards per carry. Titans are second in yards per carry. But the big weakness, you think, or at least when I first looked at this game, was the Titans' defense. They do have a worse overall defense than the Ravens do, especially, to be fair, their third down defense is just atrocious. But the Titans are actually better at stopping the run than the Ravens. Titans are 19th in opponent yards per carry. Ravens are 22nd. So the Titans might actually be able to run the ball a little bit more. Titans are also a little bit more of a diverse offense. I trust their passing game. I trust Ryan Tannehill more than uh, Lamar Jackson throwing the ball. Uh, and by the way, Lamar Jackson, not I don't trust Lamar Jackson in the playoffs yet. Small sample size, what, two career games? But he's looked brutal against them. It was against this Titans team uh, last year that, it, that he played poorly in the playoffs. So i, I got to see Lamar Jackson play well in a playoff game before I can fully trust him. Um, and also, by the way, earlier I talked about how the Bills were, were the second highest scoring offense at home this season, while the first highest at home were the Titans and their home underdogs here. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but slightly more points per game at home than the Bills first in the NFL. Um, by the way, I'm on underdog. I'm on more underdogs than favorites this week. I'm on four underdogs, two favorites. Underdogs covered at a historic rate this season. They covered at 59% this season. And also, they're 11-1 and one against the spread in the last 12 wildcard games. So if I'm not a big trends guy. I, I'm just kind of saying this because it is kind of interesting to note. I'm not basing my bets off this, but if you are a trends person... Um, underdogs covering 59% this season and 11 and one against the spread over the last 12 wild card games. Um, so we got two games left here. What do we got? The mid afternoon game, Chicago, New Orleans. If I were to pick the one that I was least confident in, it'd be this one. But like I talked about my recap of the road to 256, um, confidence may not even mean anything, but I am going to take the saints. I hate laying double digit points in a playoff game, but I got saints minus 10 minus one Oh five against the bears. I've been anti-Bears all season. You guys know that. Uh, no offense to Bears fans. I, I was anti them when they were 5-1. Uh, five to one, or five and one. I thought they were the worst 5-1 and one team in the NFL. Uh, in that video, I actually said they're going to finish at 8-8 eight and eight at best, and that's exactly what they finished at. Um, and their offense has looked good over the last eight games. But, but let's look at the defenses they've played in that stretch. Lions, Vikings twice, Jaguars, Titans, Texans, and then the Packers twice. Um... I mean, Lions, Vikings, Jaguars, and Texans might literally be the five worst defenses or the four worst defenses in the NFL. Titans, not much better, and they lost that game anyways. And then the Packers are like average to below average on defense, and they lost those games anyways as well. So, um, yes, they've looked good on offense down the stretch once Mitch Trubisky got put back uh, in uh, behind center, but they've played quite literally garbage defenses. Uh, so don't put too, too much value behind that. Also, I know that they played, they take, took the Saints to overtime this season. Uh, that game was in Chicago, but I trust Sean Payton to make better adjustments leading into this game than I trust Matt Nagy to. Uh, Saints defense ranks fourth in opponent yards per play, seventh in opponent points per play. The Bears offense ranks 11th and 12th in those stats. Um, Bears team is also second, last, and third down conversion rate. Uh, Saints are eighth. So, I mean, I know it's you're laying double digits in a playoff game, but Saints have the better offense, they have the better defense, they have the better coach, they have the better quarterback. As much as it's tough to lay 10 points, I can't bet on the Bears, especially playoff Mitch, not doing it. Give me Saints minus 10, minus 105. And then the Sunday nighter, oh, I, I said the least confident when I was in was Saints-Bears, it's really this one, because who knows how much Kevin Stefanski having COVID is going to affect them. They have a few players on the COVID list, but I did take the Browns. I took the Browns to cover plus six, minus 110. 
I don't have a lot written for this one because, I mean, like I said, who knows how this is going to affect the Browns. But, I mean, I know the one thing the Browns can do is they can run the ball against the Steelers' defense. In Week 17, they ran the ball for 192 yards against them. I expect them to have similar success this weekend. Steelers' offense has been bad this season. They only averaged 5.1 yards per play, 26th in the NFL. Who knows how good Big Ben's going to look. Um, I actually think Mason Rudolph might not, not not even be that big of a step down, if a step down at all, from uh, this year's Big Ben. Big Ben's fine. I shouldn't say not at all. He, he Mason Rudolph probably is a step down, but not as big of a step down as, as people think. Big Ben has not had a great season, to be fair. Um, so do the Browns win this one outright? Oh, that might be tough with their coach gone and a couple players on the COVID list, but plus six... I'll take a risk on the team getting points in a divisional matchup in the NFL wildcard race, even though they're on the road. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know, but then I, I I don't feel comfortable with the Steelers either. Maybe I should have bet on the total in this game. What's the total at? 47.5. I like the under in that is my gut feeling. Um, damn, that is kind of a high total. Now I kind of wish I bet on the under. It's in 47.5? Damn. It's too late now. My bet's locked in. I'm on Browns plus six, <laughs> but even though I'm on it and that's what I'm going to count in my official record, um, you might want to take the under. 47 and a half's a pretty big spread for a shitty Steelers offense, a good Steelers defense, and a Browns team that's going to run the ball. I like that under a lot. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I might make that under my uh, bet on uh, on guys and bets tomorrow. We'll see, but as far as uh, my record for this uh, for this podcast I have Browns plus six locked in so there you go I can't undo that now it's too late um especially now that I know I this season I was better on totals than I was on spreads but there you have it uh we're at almost 50 minutes so there you go I talked about how to handle a cold streak at the start of the show uh, I talked about uh, my college basketball picks three for January 8th uh, I gave my recap for the road to 256 bets and then those are my six picks for NFL wild card weekend so this is this has been the January 8th episode of the bacon bets podcast once again I apologize for this being a day late but thank you for listening subscribe if you're not already subscribed let people know the uh, of the podcast um, by the way for the new listeners if you've gotten to this uh, point of the show uh, I have an email address and I haven't even checked the inbox in a few weeks but if you want to ever email me questions I'll answer them on the show the email address is bacon bets podcast at gmail.com that's bacon bets podcast at gmail.com subscribe to the show rate review it I love you all we're growing pretty quick we've got a big year ahead of us good luck this this weekend best of luck to your bets and that's it that's all I got for it. Oh, college football. I'm not going to spend time because now it's already in the episode. If you made it this far, I'm going to take Alabama on Monday night. I think they crush Ohio State. Ohio State's defense is, is not going to be able to look like Alabama might score every drive. Uh, but there you have it. That's my quick breakdown of Alabama. I'm not a college football guy anyway, but I will be on Alabama Monday night. This has been the January 8th, 2021 episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. I'll talk to you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.